This is Radio Plasma, space dedicated to the exchange of ideas. Conversations, stories, music, performances, and randomness. Listen at radioplasma.com. Also, we are on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashi Vega, and we continue celebrating February Black History Month. It's my pleasure to welcome Nicole Young in the studio. We have a lot to talk about and to celebrate the release of a work that is testament of commitment and passion about expression. So Nicole, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you, Johan, for having me. It's it's such a pleasure to be here this evening. I know many, many people in the in the audience know you, know about your work, but let's give a little summary of all the different work that you do, projects that you are and have been involved. Sure. So my I'm gonna start back far, far, far in terms of my arts career. I actually started off as a classical musician. I learned how to play the clarinet at eight years old, and I played seriously until maybe I was like 22 years old. I started off as a music major in undergrad um, at the University of Michigan, Ann Arbor. I played in a ton of ensembles. I was ensembles manager for a couple of orchestras. I played in the Pops Orchestra on campus. I was in the marching band. I did um, pit orchestras for musicals. And I spent a lot of time, a lot, a lot of time um, working on the craft. And it was actually a theater class that I took as an elective as a sophomore that introduced me to the world that I'm in now. I never really thought of theater as something that I could get into until I took the intro to drama class. And from there, I got a chance to really explore all the many different facets in theater. So I ended up leaving the music education major my junior year and I became a theater major. And so in the major, I took classes in directing and acting and playwriting, history and criticism, because I did like a general um, overall theater arts degree. And I had a chance to stage manage plays. I had a chance to produce a theater festival um, when I was an undergrad. I had a chance to act in a show. My very, actually, no, I did two shows in undergrad. My very first play as an actor was The Heidi Chronicles by Wendy Wasserstein. And then I've done a ton of Shakespeare. I also had a chance to study Shakespeare seriously with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Unfortunately, not in England, but here in the U.S. Um, they came to Ann Arbor, Michigan in 2001 for their first tour and residency in the U.S. and I think maybe like 30 to 50 years. And in the three weeks they were there, I took a ton of classes um, with many of their actors. I went to all of the shows. They did um, the Henriette, so they did Henry Four Parts One, Two, and Three, and Henry the Sixth, I think, during the residency, and Richard the Third. It was it was so much fun. Uh, I graduated from undergrad, and actually, I moved east. I'm originally from Detroit. I lived in Albany for a year. I was an intern for Capital Repertory Theater for a year. It's a professional um, theater company in Albany. I was there for a little under a year, and I did education and learned more about arts administration. Came back home and I was like, oh, I want to learn more about arts administration. So I ended up doing a graduate degree in theater management from Wayne State University, which is in Detroit. And while I was there, I had a chance to uh, produce more theater. And I moved here right out of grad school. And the writing career started 
via an introduction. So it was actually Priscilla Page, who's a professor in the theater department at UMass Amherst, who I worked at New World Theater. That was my first job in the area. And I was trying to get to know people and things like that, given that I was a transplant here in my late 20s, the same age as graduate students here, but I wasn't a graduate student and trying to meet people was very hard. So she said, you should get involved in this project. So she actually introduced me to Body Politics, which was a program on campus for women of color. It was a social justice writing and performance group. And that's actually where my writing career started. I never saw myself as a creative writer at all until that point. Then from there, Priscilla was like, you're awesome at doing monologues. Have you ever thought about playwriting? And I said, no. And so she got me involved with the Word Festival through the Five Colleges Multicultural Theater Committee. And from there, I was one of the recipients of the 2009 James Baldwin Memorial Memorial Playwriting Fund. And then from there, the writing just took off. So the writing that's a part of my album now, it all started off as journal entries actually that then became poems based off of some of the idioms that I learned from being involved in body politics. So the evolution from music to theater to theater management and then writing and it feels like everything every little step and every stage of your professional development in the arts made sense to get you where you are right now because oh really absolutely i'm just thinking <laughs> how with the classical music training and performance how that helped in many aspects to get yourself inserted into the theater ah i can see that now there's different layers come together as mm -hmm. something that actually made you a really strong advocate for the arts first of all oh very <laughs> because you you know how many different pieces of this whole universe work that's very true one of the things that i can say and i'm glad that you um brought up classical music one of the things that really has informed my writing is being involved in so many facets of the arts for me it's What I always ask this question, what is the audience going to gain from my work? I don't know if a lot of artists take that perspective. Sometimes artists create and then say the audience is going to find the work. Whereas me, I'm like, I want to identify the audience and then do the work for the audience. Um, I have a very, especially with my poetry, because I do playwriting as well, but my poetry, it has a very a very particular audience, like the album that I self-produced that's coming out on Saturday. So let's talk about the album, because this is a production that is self-made. Yes. And that is not only the process of coming up with, that, with the idea of creating this album, but to actually figure out all the logistics and the technical parts of making it happen. So tell us a little bit about the story of your upcoming album. Sure. So the album input, there's actually multiple facets of this album. I did not even think about producing this album until literally this time last year. So it's interesting. All of this is coming together within a year. Thank you for <laughs> not only self-production, but um, really trusting friends with this project in terms of helping. So the poems of input have grown over time, starting from like, I think the first poem that's in 
Um, and input was written in 2009. So what input is about, it's me exploring how I figured out myself actually in dating. So I actually did not really start dating until I moved to Western Massachusetts. And I moved here at 27 years old. So you would think by 27, I would have dated a lot, had several serious relationships. No, that's actually not what happened. Uh, when I was an undergrad, I was so focused on graduating and not disappointing my parents. I didn't date at all. No, I did absolutely nothing when I was an undergrad. And then when I was in grad school, I had my very first serious relationship. And before that, luckily, I didn't have to date that much to, um, to meet the person who I dated during the two and a half years I was in graduate school. So I came here extremely inexperienced and planted in a whole new world. And I was like, okay, I gotta put myself out here dating. So input is a combination of the things that I learned about myself in terms of all of the things that I had to do to put myself out there in terms of dating. How was the process of that trust that you mentioned from people that you know into making input a tangible product? So the person that really encouraged me to do this project, um, local artist and educator Diana Alvarez, we actually became really, really good friends four years ago. And she, at the time we met, I wasn't practicing art at all, period. And we met via a mutual friend. This mutual friend was like, you need to meet Diana. You're so much like Diana. You and Diana are going to be sisters, blah, blah, blah. And we met at her birthday party about four, yep, four years ago in February, and like January, February. And when Diana and I finally talked, Diana was like, so there's this thing called, I heard that you are a trained artist and you haven't done anything in a while. So when are we going to do something again? When are you going to do something? When are we going to do something? And... I remember coming to her about these poems and noticing the through lines and connections of them. And she was like, so what are you going to do with all of that? So what I actually started doing first was I was sending off the poems for publication. And I was getting rejected left and right from um, different publications. So I came back to Diana and Diana was like, well, cause she, one of her degrees, she has an MFA in creative writing. And she said, one of the things about publication in these very traditional settings is that they look for very particular topics. They look for very particular structure and all of that. And she was like, given the ways in which you came to your work were not from those traditional idioms, they may not be getting accepted into publications because of that. And she was like, I know there's an actor deep down in there somewhere, which that's an entirely different story in terms of like my work as a performer. And so after constantly getting rejected, I was just like, you know what? A lot of people say that they love hearing my voice. I'm a great performer. And I was informed a lot from stand-up comedy, I was like, I'm just gonna do a spoken word album. And the an input is kind of, I thought about it as like recording a, a stand-up comedy album live. So that's kind of where that concept came from. I'm really digging the idea of this concept made as a recording that can be distributed and offered as an actual product that didn't have to wait 
for any publisher to validate mm. it because it's all about making making your own path. True. And that in itself says how much power you have in order to make things happen. Mm-hmm. And of course, with the encouragement by Diana, we love you, Diana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we love you and you know yes. it. Yes. <laughs> I just feel this is this is exactly what a community of artists and creators can bring to the table without having to rely on an industry yes. and a market that sometimes they don't even think about the art itself, but the money is going to make right. to validate or to say even if the idea is viable or not. Yeah. And that's the other piece of it, too, was who do I really want access to have access to my work? Do I really want to give it to an editor and they splice it up and make it pretty for a broader audience? Or do I want my work to go to a particular, like I, like literally my, these poems are literally written to the little version of me. Like the little Nicole who was like eight or nine years old, who was this weird, introverted extrovert who could shine in a room yet would stand in the corner sucking her thumb. I sucked my thumb until I was 13 and my parents were fine with that. They were like, she'll learn how to, you know, stop at some point. And I was always the very opinionated one too. So to self-produce for me was extremely powerful because it goes back to not only being aware of the audience that I wanted to have access to my work, but also just always thinking of the ways that I've always practiced from like always questioning, (laughs) I got in trouble a lot. I was that kid who always questioned authority and who always questioned systems. and, And even now, like, when, so I'm also an educator among many other jobs. And in my theater classes, we always talk about what plays make it to Broadway and why. And then like what plays make the make it to regional theater and why. And which playwrights work gets produced and not and why. And so I didn't want to replicate what the mainstream industry has already done. But in that, there there's pros and cons. The pros is you get to really control what your art is and looks like. The cons are you have to do all of your own fundraising <laughs> and like putting and funneling a lot of your money into the work in order to get it done. So thank goodness I, I have a full-time job in another industry. I work for the United Way of Pioneer Valley. And I worked at UMass Amherst at the time that I produced the album. So a lot of my wages for my full-time job went into producing the album. But the biggest piece that went into the fundraising part of the album on top of the Indiegogo campaign that I did, and it's a weird thing that it happened this way, Unfortunately, both of my parents passed in a very short period of time. Thank you. And um, the fortunate part of that was, and it feels weird too, because I, I grew up very working poor and my parents did too. They left my brother and I behind a substantial amount of money um, and a life insurance policy. And so most of the album <laughs> is produced thanks to my parents. And I feel that this piece makes even more meaningful the process of doing it yourself. Yeah. 
a way to stand out their legacy on you? And thinking about your evolution and thinking right. all the different stages that you have been through, this, your album input being the next step. Oh. <laughs> and, and just knowing this is something that also with the funding being part of what your parents left to you, I think it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to honor them and to, and to keep growing, even, even though they're not physically with you anymore. Yeah. And I think, because I've always asked myself, would this be something my parents would be into? And I'm like, actually, why should I even ask that question? Because my parents were very, they like they grew up in very traditional backgrounds. But with my brother and I, they tried to break a lot of that. So my parents always loved that I asked very challenging questions. They loved that I was always the kid in the room. And I grew up as an only child for 14 years who I could keep up with adults. I wasn't that kid in the room where adults were like, she, you know, needs to be seen and not heard. Instead, I was the kid that adults wanted to hear. So the album, I think, I don't have to question if my parents would be proud or not in terms of me doing it. Actually, my mom, when I was very young, she always encouraged, I think she she knew a little bit that I would become a writer. So Going to grocery stores and things like that, I was this weird kid at like 12, 13, we'll get to the end caps near the cash register and there'll be all these magazines. And I'll be, oh, I need to get this. So I would literally get like a ton of magazines <laughs> at the store and like the Sunday newspaper and I was always reading a lot of periodicals. And I remember when my mom got me my first subscription to Seventeen Magazine at 14 years old. So I think my mom saw that I was gonna be a writer at some point and then my dad, he really embraced and always challenged the very, very outward opinionated person that I am. Cause him and I, we would fight a lot. And my mom would be like, here y'all go again. And it will always be on these really, really, really big topics. Like I remember conversations around like the Black Lives Matter movement. My dad and I will go toe to toe and we'll just keep going at it. And my mom was just like, Yes, you you both have opposing views, but I think what it is is your dad enjoys the intellectualism that he gets to have with you that he can't have with anyone else. You're listening Radio Plasma. And we want to listen to your feedback. Let us know your thoughts, ideas, suggestions, comments, requests, people or matters that you would like to hear about in this space. You can contact us on our website, radioplasma.com and through our social media channels, Twitter, Radio Plasma Lab, and Facebook.com slash Radio Plasma. Aside of input, you are really active. You are, you are <laughs> everywhere. You are doing everywhere. a lot of stuff, <laughs> which I love. Uh, so how is it for you being so active? How much of all this activity is something that you have in mind and how much of it is happening just because... It happens. I think it's happening. And that's a great question because I like people like, like, for example, before coming in today, I had to go home and take a little nap after I got off work. So <laughs> I for me, I've always been 
the really, really busy body. Like even when I was a kid, I would go straight from school to music lessons. Like I was in choir, I was in dance, I was a Girl Scout. And then in college, I was in like, I don't know how many student organizations, I was in band. Like honestly, what's hilarious is the semester that I was the busiest in undergrad was when I made the Dean's List, the one and only time. I It was my junior year fall. I was in marching band. I took like 22 credits, including hard classes like Shakespeare. I took my junior writing requirement. I was involved in the Michigan Pops Orchestra. I was the orchestra manager that year. That was my work study job. Like I was doing a lot. And it's hilarious that at that time was when I got my one and only 3.5 in college. So I feel, I don't know, like I feel like I always need to be doing something. My dad was the same way. So I think I could be resting, but then I'm like, that's not me. Cause I've never, I've never been that person to not do a lot. So you are constantly having presentations, lectures, classes, yes. shows. What I take the most of all of these activities is that common factor that is everything that you're doing is connected with the community building, connecting with folks that they may not have enough access to arts or to mm. events or to activities that you are bringing to them as a way for them to enjoy it, to get acquainted with. Yeah. And for the ones who are familiar, to enjoy it even more because you have such a diverse palette of ideas and flavors to address pretty much everything. Yeah. From <laughs> things that are meaningful and important and, and really intense in terms of the seriousness of, of some matters mm -hmm. to the most superficial, but yes. making it fun <laughs> in a very smart way. Yes. I could definitely say one of the things that I love about Western Mass is the combination, and I think, and I just thought about this, and I think we may be unique in this way, at least to this part of the country, because I think a lot of really cool things are happening in Oakland. Um, we have a really nice mix of intellectualism and activism amongst communities of color on top of many of us that are here are transplants from someplace else. So we are informing the experience of living and making here based off of years of experience and work someplace else. And I think this is what makes Western Mass extremely special. There, I'm not gonna lie, there are some hard times living here. <laughs> there are some hard times living here. But I think because there's so many of me, like there's so many people here that are like me, it's honestly one of the first places that I've lived in my life. I haven't lived a lot of places, but where I got to really bring my whole self to a situation as opposed to, okay, I'm going to be black today, but I'm going to leave the feminist queer at home, or I'm going to be the feminist and queer today, but not. And, and that's what I love about Western Mass. But I think what it is is because there's already so much of the intellectualism happening here. It allows people like me to exist here and feel like I can build a community here. What it means to you being able to share your work, talking about, again, uh, input 
for people who are trying to get their own path mm. and feeling that frustration of being rejected or being afraid of that rejection? That's a really good question because I've never, even though audience is important to me, I never thought about that question, but that question is really important. I hope that people who are able to gain access to my album and get a chance to really, really listen to it can get away this whole, I can really shape and inform my goals. One of the issues that I've had growing up because of the circumstances we grew up in is I always goal set it, like going back to young people who are like, I want to get this album produced in this mainstream way. Me, I had these very big goals, like becoming a studio musician, playing in LA and all this stuff when I was younger. Ah, bubble got popped really, really fast. So the thing that I'm hoping that people learn, because it's something that I've learned is, because originally I was constantly giving up on my goals. Instead of giving up on your goals entirely, maybe adapting your goals a little, like adapting them a little bit, not necessarily to make them realistic, but to make them a little more attainable, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and that uh, goes back to the celebration of the small victories one by one. Yeah. And Diana taught me about that. Because <laughs> that was the other thing, too, when we first met. I was just like, eh, life. I'm like, life just happens to me. And she's like, you can't do that. Because honestly, her and I, we bonded a lot around grief and loss because we've both <laughs> lost a substantial amount of family members. And she was just like, you can't let life just happen. And up until a certain point, that's what was happening. And I was like, the reason why life is just happening with me is because I would set these goals and then they wouldn't happen. And she's just like, make them a little more attainable. Maybe make it a little smaller. Like with um, with the album, I was like, I'm going to do a spoken word album. I'm going to sell them through these, these media channels. I'm going to do it live. This was the other thing too. I was like, I'm going to record it live because I know what I have a budget for. Because <laughs> recording it live and hiring a recording engineer for one night and then to mix and master is different than hiring a recording engineer to go into the studio with you and like renting a studio over a period of time to constantly record and do multiple takes to get things perfect. So that was the other thing too is, okay, what can I do with this project that is in a feasible amount of time and also a feasible budget too? And thanks to your experience in the performing arts, yep. <laughs> making it live is something that you feel completely comfortable doing. Because usually when we think about all the possible mistakes and the possible opportunities for not getting it right in right. that one chance you have, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a big challenge as well. Something that you have already mastered on your side. So either way, it shows a commitment. It shows skill, passion, and an example of how things can be done, figuring out the ways around if necessary, and taking the time. We're talking about a year, as you mentioned. Yeah. But being able to celebrate it and to say, this is it. Now we are about to have the release party for input this Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a real reason to celebrate. Yeah, because I also the biggest thing that I was pushing for um, in terms of having this party in February, my dad's birthday is on the 27th. Mm. 
And I was like, if it really weren't for him, this album wouldn't be happening. So I had to push really, really hard to make this work. And thank the heavens, so far the weather is going to be decent. Because the other thing, too, I was thinking about February, Western Massachusetts winter. Uh, and people were like, you should put the party off to later in the year to make sure that's not going to snow. And I said, y'all don't understand. <laughs> like, if it weren't for my dad, this would not be happening. So I really wanted to do it around his birthday. He would have been 62 next Wednesday on the 27th. So the event happening uh, this Saturday is going to be at uh, in Northampton at the Click Workspace. It's not only going to be the release of, I mean, of course, it's about the release of your album, yeah. but uh, the whole program is going to include more than just the album. It's going to have uh, music. Yes. Great performances. And also you are giving some, some support. Yes. Which Thanks. is the other part that is to me really important mm -hmm. and going back again to how, how much of your commitment on providing access and connecting and building community. Yes, thank you, Johan, for bringing that up because that's really important. So proceeds from the album will be used to create a fellowship program for emerging um, women and non-binary writers of color and through Straw Dog Writers Guild, which I'm a member of. And there are several reasons why, one, I chose Straw Dog, and two, I chose this particular program. So Straw Dog, I've been a member now for about two years, and Straw Dog Writers Guild, the mission is to support any writer at any stage within the four counties of, um, of Western Massachusetts, including Berkshire County, Franklin County, Hampshire County, and Hamden County. I was introduced to Straw Dog via one of their open mics. A friend of mine was the featured reader Um, one night at their open mic at the basement that happens, I think the first Tuesday of every month. And it was one of the first open mics that I performed at that was extremely supportive. The minute I walked in the door, people didn't know me. They're like, are you going to sign up? Are you going to sign up? And I like how they do their open mic. What they do is, is they have you put your name in a hat and then they draw the first nine names to make it very fair. And I was one of the nine that was drawn that night. And then after I performed Everyone came up to me, thank you so much for coming. You were amazing. You should think about joining Straw Dog. And lo and behold, one of my friends, <laughs> Mackie Smith, who is a local librarian, her and her wife, Becky, um, they were one of the first that jumped on not only me joining Straw Dog, but becoming a member of their steering committee and volunteering for them. And, and sitting through steering committee meetings and seeing how they program from a very community perspective and how a part of their mission is making their workshops affordable and their craft sessions affordable. Many of them are free. I was like, I have to do this program through Straw Dog. So right around the time I started working on the album, I brought it to their attention. I said, is this something that you all can support? And they said, it meets our mission extremely well. Let's work with you on this. So we have been um, working on trying to identify matching grants and other fundraising support to get this program started. I am hoping, knock on wood that's in this room, that we're able to, to launch the first year of the program by 2020. The second reason why I'm launching this program is I am targeting writers who are like me. I still consider myself an emerging writer in that I've written like maybe two plays, one has gotten produced, 
I don't have anything published, and then I have my um, self-produced spoken word album. And I'm still looking to get published at some point through a journal, or I'm looking, I'm also in the process of writing a memoir reflecting on um, my dating experience. And I don't want some of the same barriers and discouragement put up for upcoming writers like me. Like I want them to, especially because this program is also, I wanted to target writers who don't have the means to go to a traditional master of fine arts program, which I have a lot of qualms with. I did an MFA, but in a different field in theater management. And I want them to have access to craft sessions, mentoring from established writers so that they can then go on and get published and do all of these things, have access a little bit more easier than I had. So I I was like, there's no way that I can make money off of this album and just sit on it. But it also helps us again. Um, my parents were huge philanthropists. Even though they didn't have a lot of money, every time we could, we, like, I remember, like, going around the food pantries when I was younger for Thanksgiving, picking up food and things like that to bring to people, like, and then whenever we had any loose change, we always gave it away. So I'm like, I've, I've come from a family of philanthropists in my terms. So I couldn't see not taking this opportunity to create a program like this. And once again, the legacy of your parents <laughs> is there. So is paying it forward as well and helping emerging writers to to find a way and find that support. This is so important because that's that's the way we can make sure that the arts are passed on to the next generations and we can build together yes. a more solid art scene that is there, that is alive, that is active and make sure that keeps going on. And of course, to keep enjoying it. Yes. Being part <laughs> of it and then at some point letting that space for the newcomers to take it over and then to just keep enjoying it as an yeah. audience. I can't wait to become that artist elder who, when I'm like in my 70s or 80s and I'm watching people who are my age now, I'm in my late 30s on creating their own legacies. I can't I can't wait until I'm that grandma on the porch and be like, hey, look at y'all. Y'all, y'all doing some things. I can't I can't wait to get to that stage. So Nicole, it's is really uh exciting to learn all of these experiences and to see how right now the celebration of input is happening and like i said i feel this is just the next step in your evolution as an artist and i hope this keeps bringing even more activities and more projects and more goals to achieve thank you like that that's huge for me and i keep forgetting that i that this is a door opener it's not the final thing. And I'm excited. I'm really excited, yet nervous in terms of what can come after, but I'm, I'm extremely excited. And aside of input, you, of course, are busy with many more projects and activities. And I know there is <laughs> one in particular happening a little bit after, and I guess we will be uh, doing a, a follow-up on that for uh, the Nono Project. Yes, I'm excited about that. Um, mutual friend, Jason Montgomery, we he 
saw me perform a little over a year ago. Yeah, how our friendship started. Thank you, social media. Um, I'll never forget, he saw me over two years ago perform in East Hampton. And then about a year ago, I get a message in my Facebook inbox. And I was like, who is this? And he's like, hi, my name is Jason. I am like one of your, trust me, one of your biggest fans. Oh my God. I hope it's okay that I'm fangirling you right now. And I was like, oh my God, you're so sweet. And we've developed a very, a very beautiful friendship from that. Um, me, him, and his partner, Alex, where they do a lot of work together through the No-No Project and Attack Bear Press. But I'm really, because that was one of the goals that I had on my list, is to perform at the East Hampton Book Fest. And so to do it under the auspices of the No-No Project is especially exciting. We've done, I've done a lot of, a lot of work uh, with the No-No Project and Attack Bear Press over the past it hasn't even been a full year yet. I think we started doing a lot of things. Uh, they started incorporating me into a lot of their projects sometime in the summer. So I'm really, I, I love working with them. So that's just a little teaser of what will be the follow-up <laughs> conversation with uh, Jason Montgomery and Alex Wilner about the Nono Project and everything that Attack Bear Press is doing. The beauty of having so many people committed to the arts and seeing how we are all connected. Yes, I I'm, and I'm so glad that you mentioned that you mentioned um, Jason and Alex along with Diana. They have been gateways and door openers for me, and I hope that I can provide that same opportunity for someone else. Nicole, any last remarks you would like to make? Um, Johan, I just want to thank you for having me on on Radio Plasma tonight, and also just the platform that you offer for a lot of us and also youth in the area which is incredible. So thank you so much. Thank you, Nicole. This is really a really great uh, way to keep building this, this spaces and opportunities. And also by doing this interactions to figure out how can we work together on, on doing more. Yes. Oh, <laughs> definitely. I have some ideas for you eventually. So <laughs> <laughs> this is our conversation with Nicole M. Young and the uh, celebration of her release of the album Input, live from the Bali album release party, happening this Saturday, February 23rd, at 7.30 p.m. at Click Workspace, 9.5 Market Street in Northampton. And also, this is going to have the amazing musical performance by Pamela Means Band. Yes, it means a lot for me to have Pamela Cinnamon and Aisha perform. I've heard them both as the band and then all three of them as separate musicians in different projects. And I remember when I was putting together this party and I said I wanted to honor my father, what are some pieces? And I was like, he would have he would have loved he he passed away before um me being able to introduce him to her music, but my dad would have loved the Pamela Means Band. So I, I am honored and blessed to be able to sh not only have them a part of the special day, but to have them a part of um, this way in honoring my father. A beautiful homage by celebrating this achievement, Nicole. And thank you. Congratulations for this milestone. Thank you. <laughs> so all the information about the work that Nicole is doing also will be available in the posting of this session on radioplasma.com as well of the information for getting the new album, Input, by Nicole M. Young. 
Nicole, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Johan, for having me this evening. With this, we conclude the session that has been recording in the media studio of the Gandhara Youth Development Center in Holyoke, Massachusetts. I'm your producer and host, Johan Rashivega. Thank you for listening.